Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'll be bringing today's Bible reading to us today. Our passage is Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 20, reading through to chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 2, 20. Words of Paul. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When God, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly master in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. G'day Church, good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church, Paraka. Great to be with you this morning. 
Uh, recently in our household, uh, my wife has convinced me to start watching a show with her. It's called The Handmaid's Tale. No doubt some of you will know about it. Uh, the show imagines a time in the future where birth rates across the world, birth rates plummet. And in the United States, uh, the government is overthrown and a Christian group called the Sons of Jacob come into power and they begin to institute their way of life all across the US. It's a show that made me quite uneasy for a lot of it, actually. There's a lot of brutality. Capital punishment is the consequence of people who disagree with the authorities. There's a lot of unfairness in it, like a, a woman who read the Bible in public and as a consequence, she got her finger chopped off. Uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the show as well. Those who are in authority seem to be espousing family values, but then they seem to be okay with breaking families up, of taking children away from their parents. But there was something deeper that, that made me uneasy, and, and I figured out what it was. The way that Christian life is portrayed is, is quite not right. I mean, here there are, there's these people who are claiming to be Christians, who are doing things in the name of Jesus, supposedly living out the Christian life, but it's, it's horribly, horribly wrong, profoundly twisted. It's, it's abhorrent what they do. And about half a dozen episodes into the show, I realized this is why I'm uneasy about it. it it's the way they're portraying the Christian life. This is not what it's supposed to look like. But it raises the question, doesn't it? What does the Christian life look like? there are all sorts of ideas out there, aren't there? You see strange cults come up every now and again with their way of doing things. You hear uh, weird media reports every now and again about an odd Christian group. Uh, what does the Christian life look like? Perhaps you've got your own ideas from your experiences and what you've seen. Today uh, in Church Online, we're returning to the book of Colossians. We went through a lot of this, this, this book earlier in the year when we were able to meet in person. It's a letter written by an early Christian leader. His name is Paul, and he's writing to a church in the ancient city of Colossae. It's in modern-day Turkey. You can see it there on the map. And today we see Paul taking them through, talking through what the Christian life actually looks like. And so as we read this, we're going to see what the Christian life looked like for the Colossians back then, but also what does it look like for us now? That's where we're going today. And here's the first point for today then. If you belong to Jesus, you've got a new life. You can see this in chapter 2, verse 20. It says that we've died with Christ. Check it out. Uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. See, it says that that old life is done. It's gone. We've died to it. And instead now, we've, we've, we've got a new life. We've been raised with Jesus. So chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. See, there's a new life that a Christian person has. And of course, the question is, how? How did we get this life? I mean, when I became a Christian, I didn't die. I've still got a, I've had, I've got a pulse now. I've had a pulse the whole time. When I became a Christian, I didn't kind of get a big heart attack and God stuck big defibrillators from heaven, jolting me back to life. Uh, but I do have a new life now. See, when someone becomes a Christian, they become connected to Jesus, connected to him so much so that you died with him and rose again with him, just as he died and rose again. This, you're connected to Jesus, and this is what uh, the theologians will call union with Christ. Let me illustrate by talking about uh, aeroplanes. 
uh, after Christmas, my wife Pip is taking our two kids and she's going over to New South Wales to visit uh, our families over there. But how will she get there? How will her and the kids make it to New South Wales? Well, it's not this. They don't go to the air airport and look at the planes, study how the planes start slow and build up pace along the runways until they got enough pace to take off and fly through the air. They don't look at them and then go and copy them, having the kids kind of run up the, the, the runway trying to get enough speed to launch into the sky. No, that's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? They get into the plane, they sit down, and they let the plane do all the work. It's the same as being connected to Jesus. We don't copy him, we don't die and rise again on our own, but we get connected to him, united to him so tightly, and he does the work for us. He's the one who dies and rises, and because we're connected to him, we die and rise as well. He changes things for us. So when Pip and the kids jump on the plane, they'll be in South Australia. When they get off the plane, they'll be in New South Wales. When you jump into Jesus, you start in your old life, but he takes you to your new life. And of course, the question is then, what does this new life look like? Well, look in verse 20 with me. The first thing you see in verse 20 is that the old things don't apply anymore. Chapter 2, verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? You see there that, that old life with its focus on this world and, and the rules of this world and the patterns of this world, it's dead. We don't live for that anymore. Instead, we now have a new life and that new life has a new direction as well. Uh, look at chapter three, starting three, chapter three, starting at verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's saying we have a new life. And with this new life comes a new direction. Our life is now focused not on this world anymore, but it's focused on what's to come, on, on the heavenly life that we've been given. So let me just ask a question here. Are you someone who said yes to Jesus, who's connected to him? Then where is your life anchored? Is it anchored in this world? or in the life to come. Maybe you're here though, and you're someone who's just really not sure about this whole God stuff. Uh, maybe you're feeling frustrated by this world. So my question for you is, is it time for you to perhaps invest in a different world, in a better world, the, 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 the heavenly world to come? Jesus says he wants to give you that chance. How do you feel about that? Could you take him up on that offer? The passage here is saying, if you're following Jesus, now you have a heavenly direction. But the question, of course, arises then, does that mean we have no concern for this earthly life? And as the passage goes on, we'll see that the answer is no. Then, in fact, our heavenly direction shapes our earthly life. And that's really the second point where we're going to spend most of our time today. Point two, live out your new life now. Uh, in a moment, we're going to look through the passage because it dives into some very specific areas of our lives, and we want to look at those. But first notice, this is actually an all-of-life thing. It affects all of life. Uh, look at verse 17 with me. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see here that all of life becomes affected by this decision to be connected to Jesus. That life is now directed towards Jesus. We do things in his name to, to, to please him, whatever makes him glad. That's kind of our direction in life now. And it's a life of thankfulness, not some kind of empty, fake insincereness, but, but a real sense of thanks because what you have in Jesus, even in hard situations, is purely by grace. It's not deserved. It's given to you as a free gift. See, all of life is affected by this. All of life now is given over to Jesus. But then let's take a look at some of the specific parts of life as well. Uh, as the passage will show us now, this affects our personal life. And in our personal life, we're told there to put off a bunch of things and put on a bunch of things. So you're told, put off in verse 5, put off the earthly things. Verse 6, put off the things that bring God's wrath. Verse 7 and verse 9, put off the old life. But then we put on something as well. Uh, you put on, in verse 10, the new self. Uh, you put on a life now where the old differences are gone, in verse 11. You live out a life now, as, as verse 12 says, as God's chosen people, people who are holy, who are dearly loved. And it gives us a whole bunch of lists there. You probably noticed as Michael read the Bible for us before. There's a whole bunch of lists there, things to put off and things to put on. I'll just kind of flash these up on the screen now as we read through them quickly. Um, we put off things of, of the old life to do with sex. So sexual immorality, impurity and lust are gone. We put off things that give us wrong motivations, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. We put off the old temper things of anger, of rage, of malice. We put off the old way of using words, slander, filthy language, lying. But then look at the things that we're told to put on. It's quite beautiful. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Friends, in our personal lives, we put off the things that break relationships, that hurt one another. And instead we put on the new life, the things that build relationships, the things that love and care for one another. Uh, I am a jogger. Most mornings I, I get up and I go for a jog in the morning. It's not a very long jog, but it's certainly enough of a jog to make me sweaty and stinky. And of course, after I get back from my job, I could, I, I could walk around and, and go about my day wearing those stinky, sweaty smelling jogging clothes but that would not be fitting would it uh, that would be quite disgusting in fact i need to change out of those clothes have a shower get some new clothes on and the bible is saying that's kind of what it's like when you become a christian as well it's calling on us to take off that old life with the like like the stinky uh, sweaty jogging clothes it's just not fit for your new life anymore take it off change out of it and put on the new life in your personal life, take off and put on. So I just wanted to put up that list again that was on the screen before. Here it is. Are you someone who has this new life through Jesus? And take, then take a look through this list here. Is there something that God is laying on your heart to put off, to put to death? Or perhaps something that God is laying on your heart to put on, to clothe yourself with? Maybe you could pray for his strength to do that.
Maybe you could ask someone from church to support you as you try and do this. We're not going to judge you for this because the truth is we're going through the same thing. We've got stuff to put on and put off ourselves. Is there something that God is putting on your heart to do that today? And why not use every morning as you put on clothes for the new day, use it as a reminder, not just to put on physical clothes on you, but put on the new life that you have in Jesus. But perhaps you're here, though, and you're someone, again, who, who's not really sure about the whole God stuff, who, who doesn't really call on Jesus as their Lord. I, I want to put that list up again for you. Check it out. Imagine a world where this was normal, where those things that we're told to put off weren't around in our society, where the things we're told to put on are around in our society. Wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't that be something that you can get behind? You see, the Christian life is actually nothing like The Handmaid's Tale. It's good. It's good for the world and it's good for us. Maybe you'd like to look into Jesus a bit more. That's, that's what this passage has, has to say about personal lives. But then it goes on to talk about life at church as well. Check it out with me. In verse 12 it says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's talking here about the way we do life in the church. That's why it keeps saying one another, one another. And at first it sounds really lovely, but if you think about it, bearing with one another assumes that we won't always instantly click with everyone we're around at church. When we're told to forgive one another, it assumes that even in the church, we're still gonna wrong one another and hurt one another. What's your reaction to that when someone uh, has a personality clash with you or, or someone mistreats you at church? Do you react harshly? Do you seek to cut them out socially and relationally? Do you say nothing and just let it simmer underneath and maybe one day it boils over? Do you, are you someone who wants to just assert your rights and tell them how wrong they are? This passage is telling us to do something quite different, isn't it? It says, bear with one another, forgive one another. Be different because of the new life you have. This is really unusual for us, but it's also so beautiful when we do it. Let me just talk about those two things uh, briefly for a moment. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Uh, bear with one another, first of all. Uh, I had a personality clash with someone, in an, in, not in our church, in a church I was at, in a different place. And I got some really good advice. I want to share it with you. Really good advice from an older, wiser Christian friend. He said, every few weeks, try to get to know this other person. Ask about them. Ask them questions about their life. You'll find out more about who they are. You'll find out more about why they are the way they are. And over time, you'll grow to love them more. It's what happened with me and it helped me bear with them and love them. What about forgiveness? Now, let me give a couple ideas on forgiveness here. Um, I particularly think here this is talking about forgiving the big things. Often there's little things that can just annoy us. Um, you know the kind of things I mean. And we just in general, I think, need to let them go. But when someone does something big to us that, that really causes hurt, uh, here's a few ideas. Um, forgiveness is not easy. 
And so we need, we need to stop pretending that it is. Forgiveness is not about pretending that the thing didn't happen, but it's about choosing not to take revenge because of it. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're going to instantly trust yourself to the other person again, but it does mean showing love. And it does mean acting in their best interests, even when that will mean calling them to repent and to change. Friends, forgiveness is not easy, but we have God's example for us. God's example of the forgiveness he's given each of us. And having that at the forefront of our minds is something that's so important as we seek to forgive one another as well. So this new life affects our personal life, it affects our church life, and it also affects life at home. You see this in verses 18 to 21, and we're just going to walk our way through each of those verses now one by one. And we're going to start with the most controversial. It's, it's the command to wives in verse 18. Check out verse 18 with me. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is a strange and hard thing for many of us to hear. It feels so out of kilter with our modern day society. So I just wanted to start by saying this is not about a few things. Firstly, this is not about women being inferior. This is also not about patriarchy and kind of a male dominant world. This is not about women being unable to speak, not having a voice in the household. And this is not by no means an excuse for domestic violence. This is not something for husbands to enforce on their wives. Notice that the command is to the wives, not to the husbands. So what does it mean then? Submit today, it does have that negative connotation in the way that we use it. Um, but notice here that the word is different uh, to what comes later in the passage. Children are told to obey, slaves are told to obey, but not wives. Wives are not told to obey, wives are told to submit. See, this is not about, um, this, is, this is less about something having, a, having authority over you, more about a, a voluntary act taken on behalf of the wife. What does it look like? Well, in some ways it's going to differ from couple to couple because uh, couples are different and, and the way they express this will be different. But broadly speaking, I think this is a command about letting the husbands have the lead in the, in the family. That he's to be the one who takes the initiative to open the Bible and to pray with the kids and, and with his wife. That, that when there's an argument, he ought to be the one to take the first steps to make sure reconciliation happens after an argument. And that wives are supposed to encourage the husbands as they do these things. Encourage him, help him do it, and encourage him when he does do it. Fellas, I hope you can see that this has a lot to say to you. Not that you go and enforce your wife to submit, but it requires you to be a certain kind of husband, a husband that is worth following. In fact, there's more to say to husbands now. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands are to love their wives. In one sense, these verses are, are very simple, aren't they? Uh, but I need to make the point here. Uh, friends, this means there must never be domestic violence in our families. At times, people have taken this verse and the verse before it and have twisted it so horribly that, that a husband will feel like it's okay to enforce his wife to submit. If necessary, he's going to use force. 
This is an ugly distortion. It's not what the Bible is saying, and it is wrong. We need to call it out as wrong. Husbands, what are you called to do? You are called to love, and that means never domestic violence, never physical abuse, never emotional abuse, never any kind of abuse on your wife. There is no place for that in our families. I don't know how to be any more clear on this. Husbands, we are called to love our wives. Again, that might look kind of different from family to family, from couple to couple. But here's a suggestion I want to make. Husbands, um, why not ask your wife what makes her feel loved? Listen to what she says, and perhaps that's a good place to start. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Kids are next in verse 20. Hi to all the kids out there today. Uh, let's read verse 20 together, guys. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Kids, do you hear what the Bible is saying to you today? It says, obey your parents. Now, let's be honest, that's not always easy, is it? And your parents will make mistakes. They will. I'm a parent and I do, I know. But God has put your parents there for your good. And did you see what the passage said? It, it pleases God. You can please God when you obey your parents. You listen to them and do what they're asking you to do. Kids, obey your parents. And back to fathers now. Fathers in verse 21. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. So, so dads at home, let, let me ask a couple of questions just to help us have a bit of a checkup on how we're going with being dads and fatherhood. And let me assure you, I ask these questions as much of myself as I do of you too. Dads, what's your relationship with your kids like? What kind of impact are you having on them? Are they more likely to see your anger or, or feel your encouragement? How much quality time have your kids gotten with you recently? And the great thing, dads, here is it's never too late. If we need to, it's never too late to make a change. So there we go. This passage has a lot to say about life in our homes, doesn't it? And there's so much more to say that I just haven't had time to this morning. So I want to encourage us, let's keep talking these things out amongst us with one another as we try to live out the new life that Jesus has given us. So, so far we've seen uh, this new life affects everything. Uh, specifically, it affects our personal lives, our life at church, our life at home. And now we're going to see it also affects our life at work. Back in the ancient times, like when Colossians would have been written, uh, the household included the normal family, like a mum and dad and their kids, but it also included slaves. Slaves were part of the house. They lived in the household there. So that's why the Bible is talking about slaves along with the rest of the family relationships. This, though, is not the Bible endorsing slavery. In other parts of the Bible, it'll, it'll say to slaves, if you can, get your freedom. It realises that freedom is better than slavery. But the, the Bible does talk to slaves because it recognises that the news about Jesus is for everyone. The news about Jesus was for free people and for slaves. And so here it talks about if you find yourself being a Christian, becoming a Christian as a slave, here it talks about how to live out the new life for you. Uh, our workplace situations are very different from slavery back then. Today, employees have rights. Slaves didn't so much. Today, uh, we can leave our jobs if we don't like them. That was far more difficult for a slave back in the ancient times. And today, if an employer is cruel, we can report them to the police, but back then that wasn't really an option. 
So there's a lot of differences between being an employee and a slave, but still there are some things we can learn here about what it's like for us to be workers. Uh, so let's take for a moment employees. In, check out verse 22 to 25 with me. Verse 22 says, Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Again, there are differences between being a slave and being an employee, but you see the key here, don't we? If you're an employee, it's all about working appropriately, not slacking off. Working not only when someone will notice, but all the time, not stealing time from your boss, but working as if you're working for the Lord Jesus himself. And even if your boss never sees you, even if your work goes unnoticed by everyone around you, did you notice there, it doesn't go completely unnoticed? Jesus notices, and he promises to give you a great reward, something better than your boss could ever give you. He'll give you an inheritance into the heavenly life. How, how, how much better is that than any bonus you could get at Christmas time? Employees, keep working appropriately. But there's also a note to the employers as well. See chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And again, there are differences between an modern-day employer and a slave master from 2,000 years ago. But there are things we can glean from here. If you are an employer, a boss, or even a manager, you need to treat those under you well. Treat them with fairness. They are not machines to beat into efficiency for the sake of profit. They're people. People made in the image of God. So be fair to them. And remember, you too are answerable to someone to Jesus, you must give an account to him. So treat your employer, employees fairly. Look friends, we've covered a lot and there is so much more to dig through in these verses. I haven't had enough time to do that. If there are issues you'd like to talk over that today has raised, do talk with each other. Get in, uh, talk to each other. We're gonna to go to a picnic soon. Um, have conversations with one another and talk about what does this actually mean for us in real life? Feel free to get in touch with me if you like. I'm happy to talk. Uh, Kieran's going to tell us about the Connect cards. You could write a question or a comment on there later on. Or I'll be at the picnic too. I'd love to see you and, and chat a bit more then. But I hope you've seen today that the Christian life is nothing like The Handmaid's Tale. If you step back, there's something actually really beautiful about it. I want to ask, do you want it for yourself? It doesn't start by changing your behaviour trying to live out this new life on your own. It starts with Jesus, being in him, having new life in him, connected to him, having a life that's now set on a heavenly direction and living that out, that new life out, even now in this life on earth. Friends, it all starts with Jesus. You cannot get there without Jesus. What do you make of him? Are you going to live your new life in him? Are you going to give him your life?